All right, so we're in lesson six, and we're looking at Saul's kingship. So basically what we're going to see is, is that the narrator who is guiding this narrative, 1 Samuel, is not going to focus on all of the details concerning Saul's life, but he's going to focus on things that are important for us to understand why we're moving to David being king. And we're going to see that here in the beginning with uh, Saul's kingship, okay? So where we're going to start off today in chapter 12 is, again, the nation is gathered in Gilgal. They had just beaten Nahash the Ammonite. They're confirming, they've just reconfirmed that Saul is their king. And so now Samuel is going to speak to them, okay? So let's take a look at this together. First of all, Samuel acknowledges that he did as they asked in giving them a king. So the first thing he's going to point out is, look, I did what you guys told me to do. I've given you a king. I've given you a king. Then Samuel also acknowledges that he is old and has lived his life before them. So basically he says, look, guys, I'm old now. I've lived my life before you. And I'm at the end of my life, and I've, you've witnessed my life, all of my life, and how I was as a leader here, as a judge in Israel. So then he called for anyone to witness that he was corrupt in his dealings with them. Now remember, his sons were corrupt, but Samuel is wanting to be sure now, he's saying, okay, look, everyone's here, the nation is gathered, I have judged you from Dan to Beersheba, and listen, is there anyone who can say that I took something that I shouldn't have taken, that I took bribe? Is there anyone? I need a witness, okay? I need a witness. Is there somebody who will say that I was corrupt in my dealings? Now, the people acknowledged that Samuel was corrupt in his dealings with them. The people acknowledged that Samuel was not corrupt in his dealings with them. Nope, Samuel, you were fine. You did, you did, you were honorable. You were right in all that you did in your dealings. There was no problem. Now, this is important because this is part of the issue of the people of God. Because here's Samuel. Is anybody, if I'd done anything wrong, the people said, Nope, we're witnessing together that you've never done anything wrong. You were not corrupt in your dealings. So Samuel then stated that the Lord was a witness concerning their testimony. Basically, Samuel is saying, okay, the Lord is witnessing all of this. Now, when we go back, don't come back later and say, well, yeah, there was this one incident. No, no, the Lord witnesses your testimony right now. You said there was nothing that I did that was wrong. So then Samuel points out that the Lord raised up Moses and Aaron to lead them out of Egypt, okay? So if you read the text, it's going to say that the Lord raised up Moses and Aaron to lead their fathers out of Egypt. He calls them to pay attention to the Lord's righteous acts that he did to Israel. So now he's going to, you see this often throughout the scriptures, we see it even in Acts when Stephen is stoned. There, there's usually a, an accounting 
that goes on of the things that God did and how the people were. And we're going to see that here with Samuel. So he recalled that Jacob went to Egypt and that Moses brought their fathers out. So basically in just one sentence, he's going to make a point that they were down in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. Jacob went down there. Moses brought them out. Israel soon forgot the Lord and he gave them into the hands of, his, of their enemies. And we see that in chapter 12 when you look at verse 9. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sesera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Okay, so basically whenever they turned away from the Lord, which was in, basically if you remember the blessings and the cursings that Moses gave to them, we see that in the book of Deuteronomy. When you turn away from the Lord, God's going to raise up an enemy to get your attention, to oppress you because you have turned away from the Lord. He basically is pointing that out. Israel cried out to the Lord and confessed that they had served other gods. So every time God would raise up someone to oppress them, they then would get a clue they would confess to the Lord that they had sinned and they had followed other gods. The Lord then raised up judges and delivered them from their enemies. The Lord then raised up judges, and he lists the judges here that he raised up to deliver them from their enemies. Now, when Nahash, the Ammonite, came against them, they asked Samuel for a king. All right, so now at this point, remember, before this, they said, the, the narrator says that their purpose in asking for a king was that they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted someone to lead them, that he's old, that his sons are corrupt, that we need a king. We, need to, we want to be like the other nations. Now when we come to chapter 12, we're getting a little bit more information here the reason why they wanted to be like other nations is, is they had an enemy coming after them. Nahash the Ammonite, which we saw in chapter 11 that Saul, now as king, led Israel to defeat. So here's the reason why they wanted another king. They were tired of their oppressors. They were tired of their oppressors. They wanted a king to, to lead them into battle. They did this in spite of the fact that the Lord God was their king. So Samuel's making the point here, look, you guys did this even though the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, who's cared for you, who brought you to the promised land, you did this even though he was your king. But you rejected him. So, Samuel told them that the Lord has given them a king that they desired. Now, I think this is very interesting. I think there's actually, you kind of see this in life in general. Oftentimes when we ask God for something, and it's not what God wants for us, but we keep asking and we keep asking and we keep asking, sometimes God gives it to us not as a blessing, but as a judgment. And we're going to see that with the kingship of Saul. 
So he's giving them exactly what they desired. A strong leader, guy who's shoulders above everyone else. He's handsome. He seems like he's a good guy. And you realize later that he's not. That he's got some serious issues. And we're going to see that later on as we get through the narrative. But the problem is, they asked for it. They asked for this king. They rejected the Lord. God gave them the king that they desired. Okay? God gave them the king that they desired. Now, he goes on and says to them, kind of a blessing and cursing issue here, that if Israel will fear the Lord and follow him, then they will continue following the Lord. So he's basically saying, if you'll fear the Lord and follow him, then you'll continue in that. There's not going to be any problems. But if Israel disobeys and rebels against the Lord, his hand will be against them. Basically he's saying here, look guys, but if you disobey and you reject me and you rebel against me, then my hand is going to be against you, meaning God's going to bring oppressors again. God's going to bring someone to get their attention. So now Samuel wants to show them a sign. Okay, so he wants to show them a sign. So since it was the wheat harvest, Samuel called for an unusual storm as a sign. So in Palestine there, the wheat harvest would be in the fall, and typically there wasn't rain at that time. So Samuel is going to call for a storm, thunder, lightning, a storm, in the midst of the time of the wheat harvest as a sign. Okay? So he called for this unusual sign. Now with the sign of the rain and the thunder, the people called to Samuel to intercede for them. Basically they said, we've sinned in asking for a king. They recognized through the sign that this was God who was doing this unusual sign. They recognized their sin and asking for, and they asked Samuel to intercede for them. To intercede for them. They acknowledged that asking for a king added to their sins. Now, isn't this interesting? They didn't just say, we sinned in asking for a king. They're basically adding asking for a king to their other sins that they've committed, that they know, such as what? Following the Baals and the other gods, the nations around them, rejecting God, not keeping his covenant so they acknowledge that they have added to their sins by doing this so samuel calls them not to fear and to serve the lord with their whole heart okay so he calls them not to fear and to serve the lord with their whole heart he says in verse 24 only fear the lord and serve him in truth and all his heart for you Consider what things he has done for you. Okay? Now listen to this. He goes on. He just doesn't tell them to fear the Lord. Samuel confirms that he will continue to pray for them. He will continue to pray for them. Look at verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you a good way and the right way. So he's saying, look, it would be a sin if I don't pray for you, okay? It would be a sin. I'm going to continue to intercede. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue to pray for you. He warned them that they will be punished if they turn away from the Lord. 
You're going to be punished if you turn away. Listen, every one of the leaders, Moses, Joshua, every one of them told them, if you turn away from the Lord, you will be punished. Folks, throughout the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture, God will raise up prophet after prophet who says to them, if you turn away, you will be punished. He says that to God's people. This is a pattern. You and I need to understand. We say, I'm saved. I don't need to worry about anything. No, no. He scourges every son he loves. The Lord disciplines. You turn away from the Lord. If you are his child, you will be punished. You need to realize that. So now we come to chapter 13, and we're going to look at Saul's reign. Okay? Saul's reign. In particular, it's going to focus on Saul's unlawful sacrifice it's just very brief but it's his first offense so during the second year of Saul's reign he had chosen 3,000 men of Israel as warriors all right so we're going to see that in the first few verses here in the first few verses it actually says something very unusual it kind of kind of bothers people it says Saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel basically folks the narrator is summing up his one year in one part of a sentence. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years, so we're getting into what happened in his second year. What happened in his first year is insignificant. It doesn't add anything to the narrative. It's not important for us to know. But during this second year, he chose 3,000 men. He had 3,000 men stationed with him as warriors. In fact, Part of those warriors were with his son Jonathan. The other part were with him. Saul's, Saul's son Jonathan, okay, attacked the Philistine garrison and he called the nation to arms. So what we see here is, is that Jonathan attacks a Philistine garrison, destroys it. Saul then, because he knows that they've raised the ire, the anger of the Philistines, calls the nation to arms. The nation gathered together at Gilgal while a large Philistine army came to attack them. The nation gathered at Gilgal while a large Philistine army came to attack them. Now, the people were hiding themselves. So again, they're afraid because here's this well-armed Philistine army coming and the people are afraid. And the text tells you they're hiding in caves, they're hiding themselves, they're fleeing. And you're wondering, why doesn't Saul attack? Well, Saul was told earlier, remember, in the prophecy that was given to Saul as he was returning home from meeting Samuel for the first time, he was told to wait seven days until Samuel would show up and make a sacrifice. So as the people were hiding themselves, Saul waited seven days for Samuel. Now on the seventh day, when it appeared that Samuel was not coming, Saul offered the burnt offering in the afternoon, right before the day ends. He takes it upon himself to offer the burnt offering because it appears that Samuel's not coming. So I've got to do this myself. Okay, I've got to do this myself. Now, wouldn't you know it? As soon as the offering was made, Samuel appeared. And Saul went to greet him. 
You say, well, you know, he's late. No, no, he said he would be there on the seventh day. He didn't say what time he would be there. And he obviously is showing up at the right time, but Saul was impatient. So he offered the burnt offering. Whoop, there's Samuel. He goes to meet him. Now, Samuel questioned what had been done. First thing, Samuel's like, whoa, what's going on here? And Saul offers several excuses. Several excuses. Listen to what his excuses are. We see them here in verse 13. He says, what have you done, Samuel said in verse 11. Samuel, Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you had not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines had gathered together at Michmash, and I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered the burnt offering. So notice what he's saying here. He's saying several things. Number one, he's saying the people were scattering. They're afraid. You didn't show up on time, Sam. But he did show up but not according to Saul's reckoning of time. And the, the Philistines are coming against me, and I'm helpless. So I thought I would do the spiritual thing and make the offering. So he's giving these excuses, okay? He's giving these excuses. Now Samuel pointed out that Saul acted foolishly by not keeping the commandment of the Lord. Listen to what he says. And he said to Saul, verse 13, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. Samuel says to him, Saul, you're a fool. You have done foolishly here. You didn't do right. You didn't do what God told you to do. And that was wait for me. You didn't do it. Now, here's what he also says to him. If you look at the text, for now your kingdom would have been established, the Lord would have, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Whoa. What's going on here? Two things. Number one, he tells Saul that his kingdom will not continue and the Lord will seek another. Now what does that mean, the kingdom will not continue? Basically he's saying, Saul, when you're done being king, that's it. You're not going to pass this kingdom on to anyone else. Your kingdom isn't going to continue forever. It's only going to be you and when you're done, that's it. And then he says that the Lord was seeking for himself a man after his own heart so the lord is saying look i'm looking right now there's somebody i already know who it is he's a man after my own heart and he will be the commander of the people he will be king we already know who that is right folks the man after god's own heart was david david so then he goes on and he tells us really as we look at the final section of verses here we're going to see the condition of Israel's army, and we see that in verses 16 through 23. And I'm just going to make a few points here. First of all, the Philistines encamped at Mishmak and sent three companies of raiders into Israel. 
So basically, rather than just a full-out attack on Israel, what they do, did was is they sent out raiders, kind of guerrillas, to basically harass Israel from Michmash, three companies of them. Now here's the other problem that Israel has. Because there was no blacksmith in Israel, so there was nobody who could forge iron and steel, the text tells us. And that's because the Philistines didn't want them making weapons. They got rid of all of the blacksmiths. So if somebody needed their plow or any kind of farming implement taken care of, they would have to go down to the Philistines and pay them to take it. So because there was no blacksmiths in Israel, the army had neither swords nor spears. Wow, think about that. 3,000 warriors with Saul, they don't have swords or spears because they don't have blacksmiths to make them. And here's what the text finally tells us. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had swords and spears. Only Saul and Jonathan had swords and spears. Now, folks, this brings us to the end of chapter 13 in our first lesson when we talk about Saul as king. Now, we're going to talk about Saul as king for a lot after this, but we've only got one more section of lessons with him in particular before we're introduced to David. Next week, we're going to look at his lesson concerning the reality that Saul is finally rejected because he didn't fulfill the Lord's will and he only thought of himself. And we're going to see that next week.